Well, good morning. I hope you all had a great Thanksgiving. How many of you would like to experience more joy, more happiness in your life? I'm guessing just about everybody here. Uh, the topic today is joy. And the passage that was just read, uh, we, we look at Paul's letter to the church in Philippi, and he begins this way. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all of my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. You know, joy is a, is a prominent theme in Paul's letter to the Philippians. It's, it's everywhere you look. And it's, it's, it strikes you because if you know the context, Paul is sitting in a, in a prison cell, chained to a Roman guard awaiting trial. And yet, this letter out of a prison cell emanates with joy. Joy is everywhere in his letter to Philippians. And today we want to focus on the theme of joy, which is also a huge topic for, for life, isn't it? We all want to know happiness. We all want to experience joy. Aristotle called happiness the summum bonum, the, the greatest good. He argued that we do what we do and we seek what we seek after and we love what we love because we think those things make us happy. We can add that we do things that we don't like doing because we think they'll lead to happiness, like exercise, right? It'll make us ha- healthier, therefore happier. Or, or maybe eating the right foods or taking medicine that we don't really want to take because we believe that they will eventually lead to happiness, to, to more joy. We go to work to make more money, believing that this chain of events will ultimately lead to greater happiness. We watch a movie or a football game on Sunday afternoon, thinking those things will make us happy. Happiness and joy is a, is a universal goal. Unfortunately, there's a lot of confusion and, and wrong thinking surrounding it. So I want to begin with uh, talking real quickly about the terms joyful and happy. Sometimes I'm going to be using them sort of interchangeably today, but sometimes people will make a distinction between the two of them. And I've done that. I understand. Um, some people will say happiness is linked to circumstances, to, to happenings. You know, so you're, you're happy when things are going well, happening well in your life. And joy could be described as something that's deeper, more robust, less you know, circumstantial. We're not making that distinction today. You know, in the Bible, there, there, there are a handful of terms, Hebrew and Greek terms, which give us this idea of joy. Uh, the, the chief word is kara, from which charis, grace, comes from, and eucharist, giving thanks, comes from. They're both translated happy or joyful, so when you hear me say happy or joyful, what I'm talking about is this sense of well-being, uh, of contentment, of soul satisfaction, of a deep and lasting peace. That's what I'm talking about when I say joy or happiness today. And we want to begin where we always should begin, but we don't always think about beginning here when we talk about finding happiness is that we begin with, with God. Because God, as we look at Scripture, is the happiest, most joyful being of all. Joy actually lies at the heart of who he is. C.S. Lewis wrote this about it. He says, joy is the serious business of heaven. You know, in other words, all the good things of which we have a small part, all the things that bring us joy or happiness, all the things that are filtered through life that, that we enjoy and brings us happiness, are sourced ultimately in God's design for us. God desires that we should be happy, and he wants us to share in his happiness. In fact, he commands it in Philippians 4.4. 4. You've heard this said before. Rejoice always. Again, I say rejoice. Paul wrote this while he was in the prison cell. 
Karl Barth, who in some circles is considered the most important theologian in the 20th century, wrote this about joy in the scriptures. Quote, it is astonishing how many references there are in the Old and New Testaments to delight, joy, bliss, exultation, merrymaking, and rejoicing, and how emphatically these are demanded from the book of Psalms to the epistle to the Philippians. Over and over again, we're told to rejoice, to experience joy, to experience happiness. And some argue that it's, it's kind of a genetic thing. Some people are just more optimistic naturally than others and some just aren't but the bible talks about joy not just as an emotion or a feeling but also as a choice an attitude that we can cultivate and nurture in galatians 5 joy is included as in the list of the fruit of the spirit in other words joy is something that should grow out of our lives just as clearly as an apple should grow out of an apple tree joy should grow in the life of a believer at the heart of God is joy. And God wants us, secondly, that's our second point, God wants us to be joyful. In fact, if you read the Bible and you pay attention to the life of Christ, you start to think that maybe the problem isn't that we are too happy, it's just that we're not happy enough. That we don't experience the joy that God wants for us enough. In the weight of glory, you read this about, about joy. Quote, Indeed, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Now listen carefully when I say that God wants us to be joyful. I'm not saying that I endorse any kind of health and wealth and prosperity gospel. That's not it at all. I'm not saying God wants us to be rich and happy uh, and have an easy life. I mean, Paul is in prison when he writes these words. His life was never easy. Most of the early disciples were martyred. I'm not suggesting that we pursue Christ because he will make us happy. We should pursue Christ because he is God and worthy of our pursuit. We should embrace the Christian for truth, faith first because it's true, not simply because it works. It works because it's true. It's not true because it works. Let me explain. You know, in this day of, of rampant relativism, um, people are ready to embrace whatever seems to work for the moment. It could be drugs or alcohol. It could be a relationship with the opposite sex. It could be a job or career. It could be great vacations. It could be getting in great shape physically. Not bad things. But if that's what they rely upon to make them happy, just because it seems to work for a while, that's not what I'm promoting here. My point is that God is joyful and he wants us to be joyful. And that joy is sourced in a relationship with him. And it's found in him because he is the source of joy. God is joy. God is love. God is grace and mercy. You know, when you look at the scriptures, in addition to setting aside times for fasting and prayer, God also sets a time aside, a lot of time, for feasting and celebrations and parties and fellowship. Christ said he came so we might have life more abundantly. Joy. We are commanded to be joyful. Philippians 4.4. 4. And God 
His joy is to be our strength. He is to be our source. And life works better in a whole host of ways when we experience joy from a relationship with God. Think about it. Joy complements love and hope. You can't have um, love and hope if you're lacking joy. Joy brings energy. Nehemiah wrote that the joy of the Lord is our strength. The chronic absence of joy in our lives makes us weak spiritually, emotionally, mentally, even physically. Joy makes sin look less attractive. If we label all joys and pleasures as sinful distractions, that actually weakens us in our efforts to live a godly life. Dallas Willard wrote, Failure to attain a deeply satisfying life always has the effect of making sinful actions seem good. You know, C.S. Lewis wrote a great book that's called The Screwtape Letters, and it's set up to be an imaginary correspondence between this, this uh, senior demon named Screwtape and his underling nephew, who he's mentoring, named Wormwood. And he's mentoring them how to tempt and destroy a human being, to understand how we're wired and work and, and, and all that. And he has a section on joy. And uh, the mentor says to the mentee, Keep your charge away from joy. We do not understand joy. We have not been able to produce joy. We know that it accompanies music and that it happens in heaven and that bad things happen when joy is present, which, you know, would be good things for us, right? Um, So life works best when we are joyful and when our relationship with God is a source of that joy. Which is the third point. True joy is a byproduct of a life rightly lived. And we're, we're talking about lasting joy. A joy that can hold up even in, in prison. Because the trick is not to be happy for a second. If that's your goal, to experience happiness in a series of, of moments, sin might be your best option. It can make you happy in the moment. At least, that's what it claims. No one would pay sin any attention if it revealed itself for what it is, a defective good that leads to destruction. Sin will always disappoint, though. But it can bring happiness, or a distraction at least, from pain or, or frustration or pressure for a moment or a day or a week or a period of your life. As an aside, let me note that one of the great frustrations of a life is that our broken hearts, our fallen natures are drawn to evil. For some reason, it presents itself well and it looks good at first glance. Simone Wilde, a French philosopher and Christian mystic, writes this Uh, about this in her book, Gravity and Grace. She writes, Imaginary evil is romantic and varied. Real evil is gloomy, monotonous, barren and boring. Imaginary good is boring. Real good is always new, marvelous, and intoxicating. You know, we we believe lies like the devil has all the good music. Or that only the good die young. Or that freedom comes when we walk away from God's law and choose to do what we want to do at all times. All these ideas are wrong and and steal and rob us of joy. Because sin always disappoints. It leads to slavery. Although it can satisfy for a moment. A lie might get you out of the consequences of some choice that you've made. Violating your marriage vows might put you in the arms of another and you forget your struggling marriage for a while. Sin can lead to pleasure for a short time, but it can never produce lasting joy, lasting happiness, like a life rightly lived, sourced in relationship with God. 
Because, you see, joy comes from a right relationship with God. But often we fail to see God's hand behind all the good things we have in life. He gives us the afternoon for a walk in the park. He wires us to enjoy friendship over a cup of coffee or a shared meal. He is behind all good things, and we can thank him for all good things. Fifthly, lasting joy comes through right thinking, especially thanksgiving. In First Thessalonians 5, Paul makes this connection between gratitude and joy. He says, Rejoice always, give thanks in all circumstances. This is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And throughout all of his letters to the Philippians, the Corinthians, the Colossians, uh, the Romans, the Ephesians, and so on, Paul moves from saying things like grace and peace to you from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. He immediately moves to expressions of thanks, thanking them for caring for him, thanking him them for caring for the poor, thanking them for uh, their love and their partnership in the gospel. You know, it's important to note what he thanks people for, but it's more important to note that he is in the habit of thanking people, of thanking God. Because I think that gratitude was the catalyst that produced joy in Paul, even when he's in prison. You see, part of his, his spiritual discipline, his spiritual habit, was to express thanks, which produced joy. You see, so much of how we experience life is based upon perspective and context. For example, some people are happy when they discover they have $5 in their pocket. Others are disappointed when they discover it's only 100 some people celebrate a life or a glass half full. Others lament a glass half empty. There was a study done about the connection between gratitude and, and happiness and joy, um, a number of them. Dr. Robert Emmons and Michael McCullough uh, did research on gratitude. In one study, they asked participants to, to every week uh, make a, a few sentences focusing on a couple of topics, so just write them down. One group were to write about the things they were thankful for that past week. Others were to write down the things that annoyed them, that were a bother to them the past week. And the other group was just to write down what had happened to them. No emphasis upon negative or positive. After 10 weeks, those who wrote about gratitude were more optimistic, felt better about their lives, had more satisfaction and meaning and purpose. And they went to the doctor less often because they weren't as ill or as sick. They exercised more as well. Those who focused on aggravation had much higher rates of of, of, of depression and being down on themselves and not feeling positive about life. Another example from research, Dr. Seligman tested the impact of various assignments given to 411 participants to help their mood. And one assignment was to, to write and personally deliver a letter of gratitude to somebody who had made a difference in their life that had not been properly thanked and to personally deliver it they immediately exhibited a huge increase in happiness scores. And it was greater than any other assignment, and the effects lasted for a month. Paul trained himself to be thankful, which led to joy. He rehearsed his blessings. He began with, a, with an understanding that he did, was not entitled to God's blessings. He began with the idea that he was a broken person who was saved by grace, and loved by God despite who he was and what he had done. And with this perspective, this vantage point of right thinking, of biblical thinking, Paul was thankful. And Paul was able to express and experience joy even 
in a prison cell. The fifth and last thing I want to focus this on is joy is available to us right now. If you're waiting for something to happen in order for joy to arrive, you're kind of missing the point of today. If you're thinking, I'll be joyful when I get married. Or I'll be joyful when my bad marriage ends. I'll be joyful when I get that job or promotion. I'll be joyful when I make more money. I'll be joyful when we have kids or when our kids leave the house. I'll be joyful when my health improves. You're missing the point. Paul wrote about joy while chained to a guard awaiting trial. And if we're going to wait until conditions are perfect to to be joyful, we will be waiting until the day we die. You know, it's ironic in that often the people who are the most joyful, the most at peace, are those who are struggling the most with pain or loss, who have trusted in Christ. God has blessed us in so many ways. God loves us with an everlasting love. And he has a plan and a purpose for our lives. God is a God of joy. And he wants us to share his joy. And when we do, it changes, it changes everything. The psalmist tells us, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and let us be glad in it. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful for your love for us. We're grateful for the gift of your Son and your Spirit and your Word. We thank you, Father, that you are a God who is faithful to your promises. And Lord, we thank you that you are a God who is, who is a God of joy. Lord, help us to be people who, who know and experience joy in our lives that is not based upon our circumstances or good fortune. Help us, Lord, to be people who, like Paul, cultivate an attitude of, of gratitude which leads to more joy because we're trusting in you, because we know that all we have and all that we are is truly a gift from you, that it's all grace, all a gift. So, Father, we thank you for this day, and we thank you for all